0: If you are nice and try to make a safe environment to ask so-called dumb questions, if you manage to do that, that will sort of resonate within the community. You need to observe how people interact with whatever you're building. Where do they struggle? Where do they succeed? Fix the former and do more of the latter. What I love about being a DevRel is all the things I get to sort of learn. That's sort of the thing that drives me. And DevRel is a great place to do that.
1: Hello, and welcome to Developer Love, the podcast for people who build developer communities. We'll hear from people working to win the hearts and minds of developers, including founders, execs, and the top minds in developer relations, dev marketing, and community management. I'm Patrick Woods, the CEO of Orbit, the community experience platform. Developer Love is brought to you by Heavybit, an accelerator and venture fund dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Today, I'm chatting with Knut Melvar, who runs developer relations and support at Sanity.io. Awesome, Knut, thanks so much for coming on Developer Love today. Really excited about having this conversation. Exciting to have the conversations too. (laughs) Awesome, so let's start out by talking a bit about who you are and and where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, so, so I'm Knut, that's not a usual English name because I'm from Norway, where I'm now talking to you over Zoom, like everyone else is doing these days. And uh, I run developer relations and support over at Sanity.io, the platform for structured content.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. So tell us more about this concept of structured content.
0: Sure. So we are all used to dealing with CMSs. And what CMSs typically have done is to... Force your content into posts and pages and make it a bit hard to get to it in meaningful ways if you want to like integrate it with apps or other services and stuff. And that's where structured content comes in. So we, we try to let you treat content as data. We type it, we make it nice to interact with it through APIs. And we build a lot of infrastructure and tooling to, to make that a, a
1: happy thing to work with. That's the gist of it. Cool. What are you focused on as the DevRel at Sanity?
0: Yeah, so since we are mostly making developer tools, that means that we have to make sure that developers actually manage to use them and are happy doing so. So my main task is to make that happen, to listen and observe how they interact with, with the various parts of the Sanity platform, and to sort of make the materials and the guides and, and stuff they need to like understand it all.
1: Cool. What would you say is your favorite trick of the trade?
0: I think the realization that people are way more approachable than, than you think. Both like the people who are using whatever you're building, but also the people you are looking up to. So, especially in the devrel world, like just reach out to a person that you look up to and there's a pretty good chance you will get a nice
1: response and learn something. Wow, yeah, that's a great insight. Any any favorite examples of when that worked out for you?
0: Well, I sort of entered this field 2 years ago not even knowing what a developer relations person was. I guess I realized that I had kind of done the things before, but Coming to, for example, the JAMstack world and meeting all the great people or Red Gatsby and Atlify and learning a lot, that I guess that would be the example.
1: Cool. You mentioned you got into this world just a couple of years ago. What brought you into the world of DevRel and community building? So my like formal education is
0: actually within the study of religions, which is sort of the non-confessional academic study of religion as a cultural and social phenomena, right? And uh, for reasons, I sort of pivoted into technology and user experience design and so on, was a consultant. And during that work, I got access to the Sanity beta version. And it was a sort of a revelation And I also got to know the team, and they asked me to join two years ago, and I did,
1: and now I'm here. (laughs) That's an awesome story. So many of us have had divergent paths to where we are today. What do you think is the secret to building things developers love?
0: I sort of hope it's not a secret, because the really dry answer is probably what you will get in any sort of design process you need to observe how people interact with whatever you're building. Where do they struggle? Where do they succeed? Fix the former and do more of the latter.
1: Cool, yeah, tell us about that. So many of our listeners are super interested in tooling, so love to hear the details of your uh, your Slack tracking apparatus.
0: Yeah, so we are now 3,000 people in the Slack workspace. It's not like 3,000 people actually communicating every day inside of this thing. But there's enough stuff that happens, enough people who need some pointers and and some help. It's not easy to stay on top of. So we needed something. Uh, We weren't quite ready to move the whole operation elsewhere. So we used APIs and we used Sanity to make it easy to sort of tag a message Follow whatever happened in the thread, and uh, sort of make, we made our own fresh desk in a way, which sounds bad, but it's actually kind of awesome because you can also have an archive of what is happening in this free Slack workspace. Don't tell but uh, Butterfield about this. It's also open source and actually documented, so you can go and, and try it yourself.
1: Awesome. Uh, what has been the impact of, of having that tool available for you and the team? The
0: impact is it's twofold. First of all, we can actually keep track of the questions and follow up and so on. And the other side of it is that we are not only like saving the conversations and we can look back at them and we can also tag them and we can make statistics like how many of the questions was related to a bug or a feature request or just like lack of documentation. And then we can like look at the deltas from week to week, and are we doing better or worse? So there's your KPIs and stuff that managers love, right?
1: <laughs> they sure, They certainly do. <laughs> uh, so to that end, you know, I'm interested in understanding how do you demonstrate that what you're doing is working. I guess two questions: How do you know it's working, and then how do you demonstrate that to your stakeholders?
0: Yeah, so we so now we sort of start to have these super scientific numbers and pie charts and stuff. You should never make pie charts, by the way. But uh, I think the most impactful and most important thing is the testimonials that we get, like the happy people that burst out in joy that they solved a the thing because we helped them. Those things are what I share with the with the team and that we sort of take with us.
1: Yeah, that sort of qualitative storytelling is a huge part of the role. How do you do that? Do you just copy and paste stuff opportunistically or do you have any alerts set up? What's your What's your toolkit look like?
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's mostly opportunistic copy-pasting in the channel called Praise in sort of the company workspace. So uh, yeah. And also I, I, I sort of select a few of them and have them in the slide on the weekly all-staff meeting.
1: That's awesome. Are there any other more quantitative measures that you're looking at right now?
0: We are trying this uh, this MVP of this new promising product called uh, called Orbit.
1: <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but actually, we we are. Uh, it, it sort of allows us to keep track of what ha- is happening in, in GitHub right now. That's good because a lot of the what we do are actually open source. Uh, there's a lot of surface and um, to start to like kind of keep track of what, what's happening there. And the activity that the community are putting into it is kind of neat. Not just kind of it, it is neat. <laughs> that's,
1: that's cool. <laughs> other than sanity and, and orbit, are there any other tools that you have really been enjoying working with lately?
0: Yeah, so that would be spreadsheets. Because I've sort of been the only DevRel at Sanity for two years, and I've been the head of developer relations for two years, go figure. Uh, Now I'm actually hiring and building a team, both for DevRel and support, which is super exciting. But that means that I have to embrace the spreadsheet, the ultimate project management tool,
1: and I couldn't be without it, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know you're making the transition. I'm being serious. Oh, I know. I love spreadsheets. All right, so you're you're building your team, you're becoming a spreadsheet master. What are your plans for the next, you know, 12 months? You know, what are the big things you're excited about and interested in moving the needle on?
0: It's like becoming a manager and hopefully a great one because a lot of what I'm doing I have been done uh, for these 2 years. I have to sort of make it possible for other people to do in a great way that uh, makes them and uh, their audience happy. This is what keeps me awake at night.
1: Yeah, What have you learned from your experience running the community that you think will apply to building a team? I think
0: being a bit mindful and conscious about how your behavior, this is like modeling, like, If you are nice, if you greet people and are open and try to make a safe environment to ask so-called dumb questions or noob questions, if you manage to do that, that will sort of resonate within the community. So I think that's probably the most important thing that I've been doing, and I think it shows.
1: Yeah, it seems like psychological safety is such an important hallmark of healthy teams and healthy communities, what have you seen to be effective ways to engender that type of safety, in the the groups you've worked with?
0: Yeah, so I'm like a beginner, sort of, I feel, in this field as well. and feel I have a lot to learn, but a very simple thing that I've been doing is for everyone, at least in the start, I greeted everyone that joined with sort of a, hi, awesome to have you here, you should like feel totally free to ask anything in the help channel that was kind of hard to keep up with when more people are joining every day but uh, we still have sort of the hello introduction channel I make sure to to greet everyone who posts there and I've also automated part of this of course with with a bot don't know how effective this is but i think also people are like observing what kind of questions are asked and how we approach them mm-hmm. So hopefully that will sort of make for a safe environment.
1: Cool. So you've got 3,000 people in your Slack. Sounds like people are asking lots of great questions. What's on your mind as you continue to scale up the Sanity community? So we
0: see that a lot of these people, they actually want sort of to contribute back. They want to like make plugins, guides, whatever. And it's not always that easy to figure out where those efforts should be like directed. So what I'm working out now is to make it easier for people to contribute if they want, by some of it is like tooling to publish a plugin or guides for how to make a guide. That's meta. And also like offering a space, a place for people to show off their work on our website. So that's that's what I'm doing now.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So what has been your biggest challenge as a person building a community?
0: Again, I guess this is a bit of like a startup cliche, but to differ between what's urgent and what's important, uh, especially when you sort of are the first line uh, of all the feedback and all the things people are struggling with, it's easy to sort of get lost in that stuff. To take a step back and like, what is actually important that I'm uh, spending time on? That's probably the biggest challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great point, and this question around prioritization is something every one of our our community members thinks about, struggles with. What are some tools or tactics you use to to make those prioritization decisions about your own community?
0: I think it's more of a practice. So when you find yourself a bit like lost in the weeds or like busy in a way, that's the time you have to like stop, think about what you're doing, write lists, think about the prioritization of those, and like talk with your colleagues and team, like is this what we should be doing? And so on. So again, like a bit of boring answer, but that's actually what's working for me. So <laughs> there you go.
1: Do you have a productivity app or a to-do list app that you like to use? Oh, don't get me
0: started. So, I probably like many others try them all, right? Yep. A bit like the spreadsheets. I'm now like looking at Apple Notes and I use Apple Reminders because that's the thing that are there. I can talk to my phone and there's a new to-do thing. So, yeah. I haven't got time for like doing the the proper omnifocus stuff. When I was a student, I had time for that. You used OmniFocus as a student? Yeah, I listened to all the podcasts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about your biggest challenge as a DevRel and a community builder. What's, what's been your biggest uh, success or your proudest moment?
0: I think uh, my proudest moment is sort of every day because we have a couple of thousand people in the Slack community. And only once I had to kick one out. Because uh, this person wasn't being nice. I expected that to be a lot more, but it hasn't. So that's sort of my proudest ongoing moment.
1: Yeah, that's cool. This is one of my favorite questions. What are you reading?
0: Yeah, I'm reading Twitter. No, <laughs> <laughs> a true dev <devout>. writer. <laughs> I actually do. But uh, for like books, I read a good one called Resilient Management by Laura Hogan. Which teaches me all about management, right? There's loads of management books out there. This one is uh, one of the good ones. And like for fiction, the last book I read was *Agency* by William Gibson, and I read that while I was in, uh, in San Francisco, so that was fitting. Yeah, that's the new one, right? That's a new one. I actually also like was at a book event with the guy. Oh, cool! So that was also great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was. Uh... On my calendar, but I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately.
0: He, he probably predicted DevRel somewhere back back in
1: the 80s, right? Yeah, I think he did. He said DevRels are unevenly distributed or something. <laughs> yeah,
0: they are. <laughs> DevRels are here,
1: they're just une- unevenly distributed. Most of them are work at Netlify, yes, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and Microsoft. <laughs> so do you think that developer communities are different than communities as a concept more generally.
0: They probably are or else we didn't need this taxonomy. But uh, yeah, good question. How are they different? So it's 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 definitely about craft. There's like larger conversations about what makes a community and I guess sort of having this community that's tied to a product. Is kind of different than having a community tied to something else. I guess ours is more—it's more focused around like building with sanity. So you, you won't find like long musings about the movie you saw last weekend and so on. So yeah, it's it's more skewed against professional concerns probably, and that doesn't mean mean to like be less or or a bad thing, but it's another thing. Different thing.
1: Yeah, uh, John Bacon makes a distinction between communities of consumers, champions, and collaborators to sort of articulate the the depth of sort of focus and technical proficiency. I think most product-focused communities are in that the champions bucket, which is people that are focused around like a specific tool set and kind of leveling up on those tools.
0: Yeah, that may be the case. I, I kind of feel I could see all of these. In our community, in a way, but uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Taxonomy is hard, right? Yes, always uh, a difficult person. Then tries to sort of dissolve, dissolve it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned earlier that developer communities seem to emphasize craft more so, maybe than more general interest communities. What are some ways that you and Sanity tap into that sort of? Uh, innate interest from your developer community?
0: Yeah, so we have this, like, I guess it's an ideal or ethos even about structured content, how you actually should think about whatever content is in an organization. And that comes up a lot because we are kind of trying to challenge some conceptions. Understandably so, people are bringing sort of old problems to the community. And we feel this urge to educate, right? So walking that line between sort of telling people, no, you should think about this differently and actually just trying to solve what I'm trying to do. That's yeah. (laughs) Something in that in that area.
1: I feel like you're holding back some really like spicy take about content and content management. So you know, if there's anything I haven't asked that you just really want to make a point about as it relates to to CMS or headless CMS or content management, help help me read between the lines here a little bit.
0: Yeah, sure. So you won't like to blow up on Hacker News, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you're using Markdown as your content management thing, you're doing it wrong. There you go. <laughs> People are furiously typing on keyboards.
1: Right. So sanity, you're telling me sanity doesn't support Markdown.
0: It does, begrudgingly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's only text strings, right? But
1: what's your what's your beef with Markdown?
0: So, <laughs> at university, I had this sweet setup. I was running Markdown. It compiled to LaTesh, I had like a PDF preview. It was great. But when you are taking over a web project. And you have to sort through like endless of markdown files in whatever markdown spec was like on top of mind at the time they built the thing. And like validating YAML stuff, it's not great if you want to use like a modern web framework to redesign that site or like have like a service augment that content in any meaningful way, uh, have to parse. HTML with regex or whatnot—it's—it's not a great developer experience. Even though some people have sort of tricked themselves into thinking that. I'm spicy now, right?
1: (laughs) This is a great spicy Markdown takes. Yeah, I'm.
0: I'm now. I'm that person. That's
1: great. (laughs) So this podcast is called Developer Love. We talk a lot about you know creating products and and communities that people really enjoy using and building with. So I'm interested, Canute. what's one thing that you're loving right now?
0: So I guess that would be my wife. <laughs> but I guess you mean professionally. You can, have, you can have two types of answers, sure. I guess it would be my vocation, right? I love being a DevRel and all it like brings with it. To elaborate a bit, perhaps, what I love about being a DevRel is the variation and all the things I get to sort of learn, that's sort of the thing that drives me to learn new stuff. And DevRel is a great like place to do that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. Are there any communities that you really enjoy participating in? I
0: think the Jamstack community is a great one. It's also quite friendly, I think, and quite open.
1: cool. So thinking as a community member yourself whether it's Jamstack or Devrel collective or whatever you know you mentioned the Jamstack community is very friendly you know what are what are some hallmarks you look for as a community member like how do you know a place is friendly
0: I think everyone knows communities are not friendly <laughs> where we have like people that are out to sort of get you like go to the orange site like Hacker news or something and swift uh, through the comment sections, there there we have sort of have the opposite thing. <laughs> so yeah. Being met with like openness and curiosity and having people being interested and engaged in whatever you bring, uh, that would be sort of the indicators
1: for a friendly community. Cool. cool. Canute, everyone loves Markdown, and yet you're telling me it's terrible for all these reasons. Is this really a sustainable position?
0: Well, it's the right tools for the right things. Like I write a lot of markdown. Every day in GitHub, I will write markdown and that's fine, (laughs) right? But if you are trying to actually capture the most valuable thing you have in an organization, which is your content, right? The descriptions of what you are doing and the products that you are offering and whatnot, uh, you should do that in a sustainable and resilient manner. And that's not Markdown. So HTML, it's super great for browsers to look at and make sense of. It's not super great for a toaster or a voice uh, skill <laughs> or a AI augmentation service or whatever to sort of figure out. So, yeah, that's sort of the professional take on on that on that question. But uh, but yeah.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about content resiliency? That's a concept you've mentioned a few times. It seems kind of interesting. What is it, what does that mean?
0: That means that it is easy and actually possible to know what content means, what the intent behind it was. And that may sound lofty in a way, but it, it's a, mostly a matter of the sort of the specification and the and the properties that you are giving it wherever you have it. So like marking something within rich text as a thing like this is a footnote and I can query that uh, I can know. I can query my product descriptions for products that has more than five footnotes in the description because you want footnotes in your product descriptions, right? Like stuff like that. Or I want to know how many of my services has an image illustration where the the flashlight has gone off when they took the photo. Like stuff like that is pretty useful when you are. Trying to keep your content tidy and nice and up to date.
1: We've talked a lot about structured content and content resiliency. These are what seem like almost philosophical constructs. You know, is is there something under the surface here that's driving your passion around this topic?
0: Yeah, I think like having been a consultant, having been in numerous projects where you like enter a an conversation and. You're trying to build something great, you're trying to build something that enables their users to be successful or get whatever they need to get done, done. And having sort of a tangled mess of HTML in the way is frustrating. So I think it comes from that. And and also having experienced all the creativity, innovation and possibilities that comes out from just having structured content being able to like mold it however you like into a presentation that's pretty powerful and great so that's why I'm kind of passionate about these things I'm not sure I'm not completely sure I'm willing to die on the sort of the anti markdown hill yet <laughs> I didn't expect this sort of movement uh, either but there you go <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's this this idea that we're trying to tap into like the orbit brand. Is uh, starting to tap into like this notion of the people behind the pull requests, and that there's lots of tooling and dashboards out there that will like show you charts and graphs about like code coming and going, but that's actually code coming and going as a second order effect of building relationships with people and understanding them, and so a big part of what we're doing from a brand and product standpoint is trying to surface those people insights, which is why you know if you look in in the product we've got we put the people almost front and center more so than just like. You know, charts going up and down showing how many lines of code are added or deleted, and that concept seems to be in the water uh, with the people we're talking to. So I think it's a pretty exciting time to be thinking about the space.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great perspective, and it ties into what we talked about about like sort of facilitating inclusive communities and so on. I know there are people that that opines that code code should be this like uh, non political space where you don't have to think about social equality and stuff but it's people all the way down, right? There's ideas and biases and so on, so putting more focus that it's people that that's great I think but it's way more complex than monads or typed arrays or, or whatnot, it's hard so yeah. I can sort of understand why people don't want to think about it, but yeah Having tools that make that easier—that's great.
1: Yeah, uh, I just had a thought that like code is actually inherently political, in the sense that it's when you're working with a team of larger than one, there's influence and in decisions that are being influence carried out and decisions being made based on things beyond just the objective realities, as if there is an objective Platonic notion of the best way.
0: If there are, you can bet that it's encoded in structured content.
1: <laughs> right. that's my fish <laughs> uh, that's good well Kanu this conversation has been really enjoyable I've really learned a lot and appreciate your thoughtful and intentional approach to building communities so thank you so much for coming on the show today
0: thank you for having me
1: if people want to learn more about you where should they find you
0: online I'm on Twitter I have the worst like, Twitter handle for actually saying on the podcast it's K kmelve that's K-M-E-L-V-E you can also try to Google Knut Mielvar. Good luck with that if you're not a Norwegian native. Uh, go to Sanityio, take it from there,
1: I guess. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Knut. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Developer Love. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell a friend. You can learn more about orbit at orbitlove podcast and follow us on Twitter at orbitmodel.